Welcome to the Digigods podcast. We are now into the month of November, and uh, that means that we are still in uh, the World Series of Baseball moment, which means Mark is not here because his beloved Mets are in the World Series, and that is an almost impossible occurrence, and and Mark wouldn't miss it for his life. So I am here with our dear friend and colleague, Tim Cogshell, sitting in for Mark. Thank you, Tim. I do not have a favorite baseball team, so I'm solid. I'm good. I'm good for the whole thing. Well, you're from St. Louis, and the Cardinals. I were... love the Cardinals. I love. Yeah. grew up watching the Cardinals, who are who are World Series and, and uh, late-season perennials, yes. I, I should say. But I don't want to upset Mark. So. <laughs> well, he's, he's, he's there in New York, and he's just thrilled. So we, we wish him well, and we are happy that he is there. But you know, when Mark's not here... Uh, the cats play, I think, as the saying goes, and uh, that means that I get to talk about Kidvid and British television and opera, and not have to get slaughtered. Oh, for All those things that would just upset him so much. So much. So uh, we're gonna get. We have some really. Uh, ama- there's some great classic films, some great Criterion stuff, uh, some interesting new movies out. Uh, a lot of the uh, interesting kind of uh, mid to late-ish summer stuff. Uh, actually, kind of early. Pre-summer, springish is a lot of coming out now too, so we're getting uh, we're getting a lot of good products. So we'll we'll uh, we'll crank through as much of this as we possibly can. But uh, for starters, I'm going to burn through KidVid because we've gotten a lot of it lately, and uh, you know my daughter is a kid. So uh, Halloween, by the way, uh, was yes, how was how was Halloween in your neighborhood? Yeah, Halloween was fairly dark in my neighborhood. Actually, to be honest with you, kids don't they don't do it anymore. Yeah, they don't roam the streets in the little costumes as we did at show. They go to parties and stuff like that. See, but. I find there are certain neighborhoods like we we went to a neighborhood over here where there are a lot of relatively rich people with way too much t- money and time on their hands. And uh, I guess they like to compete for what house has the. They want to win an award from this local paper in this uh, adjacent community. So they all compete for who gets to deck their house out the most. And it's kind of insane. There are like automated spiders that move and giant inflatable cats with their eyes and heads moving and fog machines. You know, it was, it's nuts. It would, it would be funny if they could figure out a way to make all of that work for Christmas as well. You know, just put a, put a red furry. Cap yeah, on top of something young. but it's. I mean, you know. So we we took my daughter over there, and she was amazing and intimidated at first because there are. I mean, we probably saw three or four thousand kids just in this maybe five square block area. It was obnoxious. But if you go right outside it, once the houses are no longer decked out with weird stuff, yeah, there's nobody. You know what's funny? <laughs> These families, fantastic houses, fantastic decorations. They do it all up in the really fantastic yeah. neighborhood, yet they still give out the fun size Snickers. That's all. <laughs> same, same thing. You would, you'd expect them to be giving out yeah. like entire... Yeah. 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 Well, some yeah. nice chocolate, folks. Yeah. Come on. It's funny. These people, I mean, you don't even get to walk up and say trick or treat. People literally will set up chairs on their on their front door with the door open, and then they put their costumes on, and they will have a giant cauldron filled with candy, and they just sit there with a little little table, just sipping wine and <laughs> sort of waving to everybody. And you get to come up and pick your candy, and they're just wait. It, it takes away the whole joy of pushing the doorbell and getting to say trick or treat trick when or the door treat. opens. Yeah, yes, There's no more open doors. No, it'd be neat if they did that in that neighborhood just every night. 
Just literally, <laughs> just, every, just just sat there on the corner with old one. Oh, well. Kidvid, Kidvid. Kidvid. We're going to get into it real quickly here. So I'm going to burn through this so I don't bore Tim the way that I bore Mark. Uh, I love this stuff. Well, first off, uh, Justice League, Attack of the Legion of Doom. This is an original uh, Lego DC comic superhero thing. You know, the whole Lego animated deal, I, uh, I'm, I'm only kind of just sort of acclimating myself to it because I find the, the design of the Lego figurines kind of creepy. Well, you know, they do look like the ones that you actually get. Yeah, they do. And this, you know, they're, yeah. they're, you know, with the little squaring around. So, you know, that's a lot of fun. And this, of course, comes with a little, uh, a little actual figurine, a toy figurine in it. And, you, uh, of course, ultraviolet, which I just think is kind of overkill. But anyway, uh, the whole DC Lego thing, it's, you know, it's combining franchises. And I, I, it's, it's If a, I have it's any qualms deal. about that stuff, the Justice League stuff is, frankly, a little violent. That stuff is directed at very, very, very young yes, children. Yeah, true. And I can't quite get my mind around why we want our three-year-olds, you know, trying to, this, you know, to well, destroy Metropolis. Or we, were, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Uh, Tim was playing with my daughter and, and uh, <laughs> having a grand old time. Yeah. And um, I, I was saying, you know, I, I'm the guy that grew up around uh, Warner Brothers cartoons and Tom and Jerry, and this was great. This stuff was grand. And now I've, I've become that person where I say, ooh, you know what, Tom, he's kind of violent with Jerry when he tries to eat him and punch him, and I'm not sure I want my daughter really exposed to that. And then I sort of slap myself, and I say, what have you become? What have you become? <laughs> We're okay. We're okay people. Yeah. But, Jan, you're right. There's something about that. Yeah. And uh, then we have a three-movie gift set if you're fran- a fan of uh, the Equestria Girls uh, from the My Little Pony world. This has a little lenticular cover on it that kind of creeps me out. But uh, this Mark includes, loves those. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We've called them everything from testicular to, you know, on and on and on. But anyway, this includes uh, Equestria Girls, uh, Rainbow Rocks, and Friendship Games. The, uh, the all, you know, the Equestria Girls are kind of a popular part of the My Little Pony universe. So that is from Shout Kids. That's a nice box set. I always like to look at those to see if there are any particularly famous names doing any of the voices. People who uh, should, like, you know, whose job, whose, whose careers have kind of dwindled. Well, you know, or sometimes they're, they're doing perfectly fine. They're just getting paid even more. Yeah. Money. yeah. Uh, from Mill Creek, something I'm really fond of. This is The Busy World of Richard Scarry, the complete series. Uh, five seasons, 65 episodes. Uh, you know, this, uh, a lot of you may not even remotely remember this, but uh, I grew up on the Richard Scarry books, and I loved his, his, just the world of his animals and those, the, you know, the books where he creates these yeah. busy street scenes and animals are doing a million different things. And uh, this, was, this was rather an uh, amazing series, and it ran for five seasons, 65 episodes. Really terrific. And it's out now uh, from, a Mill, uh, from Mill Creek on uh, a really beautiful uh, blue, uh, DVD set. So if you remember that show, I, I, I highly recommend it. Chuggington, uh, not a fan of. Thomas and Chuggington are the two train shows oh, on television. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Chuggington, the big freeze, uh, you know, strictly for fans. Uh, Adventure Time. I, I keep promising our fans of Adventure Time that I will I will try to uh, understand why this show is popular, but the artwork just creeps me the hell out. Uh, this is Adventure Time: The Enchiridion. <laughs> you hate it when that don't you hate it when that happens? Yeah, when they when they have names that I can't pronounce and kids are supposed to pronounce it. Um, Got Johnny Test. Now that's one I remember. The Adventures of an Average Suburban Boy. Not Johnny Quest, Johnny Test. The Adventures of an Average Suburban Boy. Yes. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Johnny Test, not to be confused with Johnny Quest. This is five seasons, 91 episodes, Cartoon Network. I don't know why I know that. 
Uh, I don't either. I do know why. My niece. My niece would have been exactly the right age, age yeah. for that. That's why I know that. Well, that that's out there. And again, that's that's you know that it's just part of this newfangled animation style where everything has got to be kind of it's sort of like a cross between Ren and Stimpy and anime. Yeah. That's the style that's become popular. Except for Adventure Time, which is just weird. It's like they have no. Jo- and see, that's why I, I find Adventure Time creepy. No one actually has any joints. Everybody's like, it's yeah. all rubbery and yeah. weird and sort of kind of yeah. creepy drawn. Like squiggle, squigglemation. Oh, it's, not, it's not pleasant. Uh, Scholastic Storybook Treasures, the classic collection, 20 fairy tales. This is a lovely, lovely collection. Uh, Scholastic always does it all uh, upright, and they got some great fairy tales in here. Uh, this is all stuff that has essentially been released before. But uh, it's a wonderful collection for people that haven't sort of collected any of these. Cinderella, Little Red Riding Hood, Rapunzel, uh, The Boy Who Cried Wolf. Uh, a lot of really, really great, sh- great stuff in here. So uh, Three Billy Goats Gruff. I mean, it's, if you've got a kid and you want to teach them all the fairy tales, and we're doing this with my daughter as well. You know, we've, we've been buying these really nicely uh, illustrated fairy tale books, and it, it's great. She's Does really it really it. captivate them? I mean, the, the, a lot of times the stuff from our childhood, we, I wonder if it, it captivates them. The Little Mermaid, it, she, the, we read her the book first, and she was incredibly into it. And then we decided, well, we're going to show her the movie. Uh, she has now seen the movie four times. Ah. And just cannot get enough of it. Mermaid, she's obsessed with mermaids. She wants to be a mermaid. She'll take her clothes off and run around and say, I'm a mermaid. It's, 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 it's unbelievably adorable. Uh, and then uh, the aforementioned uh, Equestria Girls. If you are a huge fan of friendship games, well, it is also out now in its own Blu-ray DVD combo set. So what I mentioned before is all DVD. This is friendship games in a Blu-ray set. If you really, really uh, have just... A lot of free time on your hands. I'm going to try to turn this up and go a little bit faster. Uh, the uh, Peanut stuff is coming out fast and furious now. He's a bully, Charlie Brown, along oh. with It Was a Short Summer, Charlie Brown, uh, remastered. These are minor Charlie Brown specials, but they are throwing them out now because, Tim, this week... The we Peanuts, see- I got to see it for the, for, for the film week show that you and I... Yes. Are you, now, now, are you... Are you uh, you're on Friday. I'm on this coming Friday, November the 6th. Are you seeing the morning show, the morning screening, or the evening screening? I'm seeing the, I'm seeing the morning screening for Peanuts. Because okay. there, there are a lot of movies this week. Yeah. We have Spectre and we have Spotlight, you know, big movies. We're in that time yeah. of year. That Peanuts movie right there, though, that cartoon, yeah. Taylor, uh, he's a bully, uh, Taylor Lautner. The, oh, really? The great Taylor plays the voice, is, is oh, the voice of grief. the bully. <laughs> and that one, oh. so, you know, there you go. Well, uh, don't know if he'll be showing up in the Peanuts movie. I'm not, I'm not excited about the Peanuts feature film. Well, I, we, we, I'm RSVP'd for that same morning screening. Okay. Only if we can get the little one out of here in time. Yeah. I'm curious to see. Is it the kind of thing you would bring her to? We're not sure yet. Uh, you know, she hasn't really responded. We tried to show her It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, mm-hmm. like the, on, on Halloween morning. Sort of get her into the spirit of things. Now, you know, her exposure to feature films is very narrow so far. We've really, she only watches things like Peppa Pig and, uh, you know, Mickey yeah, Mouse Clubhouse. I heard her and, enjoyment of that earlier. Yeah, yeah. And, and Downton Abbey for some reason, that, <laughs> some, whatever reason. Uh, but uh, no, she loves Shaun the Sheep. And we took her to the Shaun the Sheep movie. That was her first movie. And she wound up seeing that three times in the theater. 
And um, that's all she has seen in the theater. Almost got her to sit through Paddington, but she was a lot younger at the time. But uh, so I'm, I'm not sure if the, if the, she sort of understands who Peanuts mm-hmm. are, you know, Lucy and Linus and Snoopy and Charlie Brown. She sort of gets that a little bit, but I'm not sure if she gets it enough. So we'll see if we can get her there and, and get her to sit through it. It'll be interesting. But to see, see that that also we were watching the uh, uh, you know the Great Pumpkin and here's something that I always consider is innocuous it's the most innocuous thing in the world and next thing you know Lucy's screaming you blockhead you stupid oh, yeah. and we're looking at and we're like we don't really want her learning these words <laughs> in that in that particular sort of um... yeah because the first person she's going to call a blockhead is me <laughs> that's just not that's not right Charlie Brown uh, my daughter adores Elmo uh, that's one of the earlier obsessions uh, and uh, we have a new Elmo here Elmo can do it. Of course, this is just uh, you know a few episodes of Elmo from you know Sesame Street, which has a very a variety of different Elmo adventures, as Elmo the Musical and uh, Elmo's World and all that stuff. This is uh, you know Elmo and Abby calm down and think. Help Obots. This is just uh, you know Elmo teaching you things. So. Yeah, he can write. He can change his name. He can spell his name. He can dance. Elmo can do it. Tim, you, you got to help me understand why this even exists. <laughs> Mike um, Tyson <laughs> with, with the big Maori tattoo in cartoon form. It is unbelievable how, how Mike Tyson has merchandised himself after his uh, his disappearance from the uh, from uh, professional boxing. Uh, this is Mike Tyson Mysteries season one uncensored. Now, what does that mean? I, <laughs> What's going to happen? Is he going to beat up Robin Givens? What's going to happen? I have no idea. Uh, but it is. I, I'm not quite sure what's uncensored about this, but uh, in any case, a couple of neat voices. You got Norm, the the great Norm Macdonald, uh, yeah, he, yeah, doing a voice in that thing. So that's got to be funny. Norm Macdonald is always funny. Uh, I've actually seen Norm Macdonald on a panel live. It was very, very funny. It was insanely funny. I'm trying to remember. There was an old, a classic old writer from like the our show of shows. I can't remember what the, who the guy was. But, you know, he really kind of hated all of modern comedy, and Norm kept getting on his nerves, <laughs> kept interrupting him, repeating what he was saying. It, 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 you know, it, 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 and he sort of didn't understand. Of like, we're on a panel. This is a serious panel. But to Norm, it's a chance to perform. It's just another, He's on yeah. stage. There's an audience. It doesn't matter. I'm a comic. You shouldn't have uh, anyway, so this is uh, the Mike Tyson uh, Mysteries Season 1. It's sort of like Scooby-Doo, except with Mike Tyson, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, it's an Adult Swim thing, which tells you that they, they, they definitely aren't taking themselves seriously. But there are ten episodes here. And, uh, you know, it's Mike Tyson doing his own voice, which nobody can do that voice like Mike Tyson, except <laughs> may, maybe Jamie Foxx. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Bubble Guppies Great Guppy gift set This includes uh, a coloring book And crayons and a poster and a sticker sheet And we, we like uh, Bubble Guppies here My daughter likes Bubble Guppies Because uh, they, they're mermaids yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that I, until I a certain point idea, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they sing and they have cute little tunes uh, Transformers Just too many Transformers shows for me to keep track of This is from Cartoon Network uh, Transformers Robots in Disguise A new Autobot mission um, Actually, you know, it's it's better than the Better the, than the Michael Bay film Better than Michael Bay film and better than the uh, Transformers I grew up on yeah. But still, you know, not, not anything of any great significance um, This is an interesting little thing It's an animated musical comedy called Enough Already and uh, this is from uh, Sisu, which releases the uh, Jewish-themed Hebrew language stuff. And uh, this is actually really, really wonderful. This is uh, kind of, it's, it's a, a sort of fiddler on the roofish, to be honest. 
but it, uh, I would say you don't have to be Jewish, you don't have to uh, be Israeli or anything of the sort to actually enjoy this, just like with You don't have to be, but it should. No. Hey, look, the title is Enough Already. <laughs> you have to say it like that, Enough yeah, Already. Yeah. Anyway, there's uh, some great klezmer music songs in here. It's really quite wonderful, and um, it's, uh, it's, it, it, it's kind of a... Oh, how would you put it? It's it's based on a folk tale uh, about a farmer and uh, how he sort of the, the role of animals in uh, this sort of I don't want to I don't want to say it's like a Noah's Ark kind of thing because it's not but there's a there's sort of a message to it. It's kind of like an Aesop's fable deal, uh, but it's actually very very sweet and very nicely animated. So enough already. Too bad Mark wasn't here. He, I'm sure he would have would have had a wonderfully snarky Jewish thing to say about that. Yeah. Uh, Scholastic also has this series, The Magic School Bus, uh, out now in season four. Uh, I, I watched a few of these originally, and uh, this is you know a two disc set, um, which is perfectly fine. I think this. I don't know why this thing went for f- four seasons and beyond, but it it obviously has a following. Uh, uh, PBS Kids, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, not one of my favorite PBS shows, but uh, my daughter does seem to like it. This is one of those things that was produced by Fred Rogers and his company before he passed. Continues to be popular. Uh, Hanna Barbera Classic Collection. This is a DVD R uh, from the Warner Archive line. This is Jack and the Beanstalk, and. Uh, this is actually a feature film with Gene Kelly. It is amazing, but oh, it is that one, that is that, a beautiful movie. Yes, it's and now it's 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 fifty one minutes long, so it's not technically a feature 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 film, but it is uh, it is it is a feature. Uh, it is like a television special feature from uh, from a certain day, and it's lovely. It's absolutely wonderful. The classic Hanna Barbera. Classic Hanna Barbera. Uh, it was just, it was absolutely magical and uh, really very, very just engaging, and it still is. And the musical numbers are great, and uh, the animation is terrific, and it's one of the most interesting things that Hanna Barbera has ever done, and anything with Gene Kelly is worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, let's see, but I'm going to burn through the rest of this Nickelodeon stuff here real quickly. Um, just a second. Let me... Uh... Just make sure you don't skip those Teenage Mutant and Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I know. I have a particular affection for that. For those. Uh, well, here, I'll let, I'll, let you, uh, I'll let you discuss that then. It's like Cowabunga Christmas. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Cowabunga Christmas. It's a, look, this, these cartoons, this entire series of, of, of animation and live-action films, which made a bit of a comeback a couple of years ago, because yeah. they, 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 they did a little, was always a lot of fun to me. The animation was never particularly fantastic, but the storylines no. were neat, yeah. and the characters are great. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's all so psychedelic. When when you and I were really young kids, we had this kind of stuff in live action. Uh, the the Sid Marty Croft yeah. would create live action sort of insane characters that were like these. I, I and by the way, Sid Nickelodeon. Martin, you realize they are also going to do a. Uh, they're working on an HR Puffin stuff feature film. I think that that is just extraordinary. <laughs> that is extraordinary. Unless they go CGI, so that's they're what not, worries they're me. Not, they're it's, not. They're not. Practical yeah. effects movie. Apparently, uh, Sid or is it Marty? One of them gave an interview recently and said they learned their lesson from Land of the Lost. Very good. Yeah. yeah. They, yeah. they they realize everything they did wrong there, and they're not going to do it again. No, make, do them the way you did them in 1972. Exactly. That's, that's what you do. And uh, and the other the other one, of course, was the Teenage, uh, Ninja, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, the first and second complete seasons of that television program we were talking about. Brilliant. Good stuff. 
And then the rest of the Nickelodeon stuff, Adventures of SpongeBob SquarePants, uh, which includes the entire collection of uh, Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy's adventures. Uh, so, you know, I can't really recommend this because this show's gotten on my nerves for years, but I'm just letting you know it's there. Puppy Palooza is a Nickelodeon compilation. They do a lot of these if you just don't, if you just want to like, keep your kid busy with a variety selection from various shows, Dora and Team Umazumi. What's Blues, the age Blues. range for, the, for, for, for a lot of this you stuff? You know, this is, this is like this Nickelodeon not stuff. more than four. Okay. Yeah, not more than four. I mean, unless it's the Turtles, which is a little, skews a little older. But for something like that, Dora, that, yeah. I think by the time you're five, you're out of it. Uh, Paw Patrol, Meet Everest. Uh, you know, dogs, animated dogs, they're always good for a laugh. And then uh, a thing here, Science and Wordplay, which includes Blaze and the Monster Machines and Wally Kazam. Uh, more, you know, another kind of double-disc compilation set of those two shows, which are primarily aimed at boys. Very educational, but, you know, girls, at least not my daughter, don't, they don't get into it too much. Uh, the last few here, Transformers Rescue Bots Dinobots. If you're into dinosaurs and Transformers, that's kind of creepy. Um, the complete collection of Madeline, which is wonderful. The Madeline books are just fantastic. My daughter loves the original Madeline, can't get enough of it. And uh, the animated show is also really sweet. Uh, stays very faithful. It's a little more polished in the artwork, but it's very true to the adventures of this little schoolgirl in Paris. And it's just beautiful. Uh, so that's now out, thanks to um, Mill Creek. Lovely. Also from Mill Creek, complete series of A Bunch of Munch. Never heard of this before. This is 13 animated adoptions from uh, ad- animated adaptations of uh, stories by author Robert Munch. I never heard of any of these after watching a few of them. Can't say that I'm all that excited about them. I can see why people uh, are really into this stuff, but it's, uh, it's a little precious for me, to be honest. Uh, and another one from the uh, the same line of Mill Creek is the Country Mouse and the City Mouse Adventures. Another one I've never heard of, but 26 uh, adventures here. Really, really sweet. This I thought was uh, was lovely. This is really cool vintage animation from uh, probably like the, I guess this is about the uh, late 70s, early 80s or so, maybe even older. Anyway, that's uh, that's charming. Uh, Barbie is not charming. Barbie in uh, Rock and Royals is the last thing I would ever want to show to a daughter. There's no Barbie way. has become a bit of an issue. No over, way. Over the years, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, no. Rock and Royals, not, not giving into that. Uh, Scholastic Storybook Treasures also gives us Nelson Mandela and more inspiring stories. These are four stories with narration by the likes of Forrest Whitaker and Felicia Rashad. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. Great animation. Um, uh, Completely unusual and just really, really great. This includes uh, Nelson Mandela, an animated story of Nelson Mandela's life. Um, And then three other stories uh, similar to that, Each Kindness, Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters, and Coretta Scott, which is obviously about Coretta Scott King. Um, Really lovely stuff. Really, really lovely stuff. Beautifully done. A really interesting kind of animation. It's very sort of true to life, very crayon-like. More Transformers in Transformers Prime, Ultimate Decepticons. This is brutal. Uh, This is just way too violent for even for me. I, I, I can't keep track of all the Transformers series. Talked earlier about Thomas and Friends, the little train guy. This is a new Thomas and Friends movie, the uh, Sodor's Legend of the Lost Treasure. Um, Thomas and Friends uh, has a problem with with uh, sinking the lips to the uh, the, the dialogue, <laughs> and I'm not, uh, you know. Well, I'll leave it at that. Uh, and then uh, play all day with Elmo. Two hours more of Elmo, as if the other one wasn't enough. 
Letter Factory, The Great Shape Mystery. These are what turtles do when they're not being uh, mutant ninjas. And uh, the last two, uh, Pups United, uh, with the Rob Schneider doing some pretty great voice work. Uh, this is, you know, just soccer playing dogs. And uh, I'm, I love soccer, not too keen on soccer playing dogs, but, you know, it's all... You know how I feel about anthropomorphication. <laughs> this is, what, this is what, uh, what we got out of uh, Air Bud, That's uh, <laughs> what, what Air Bud created. And then lastly, uh, from the Beginner's Bible series, a little animated Bible stories, uh, Joseph and his brothers, Daniel and Lion's Den, The Battle of Jericho, and Jonah and the Whale, and the animation makes a lot of these things more palpable, because you know what, Daniel and Lion's Den... Story of Jericho. There's some violent stuff here. Yeah, yeah. So, well, you know, depends on whether and your, your religious education is important. But you know, maybe, softening maybe the blow, yeah. softening the blow. All right, Tim. Thank you for tolerating that. <laughs> Good <laughs> stuff in there. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So let's get into uh, let's get into some new movies. Uh, what should we What should we start with? Uh, let's see. Look, let's talk about Vacation. You oh, and I, dude. you and I, you and I actually talked about that movie a few weeks ago. On, on Film Week. We uh, did. Uh, and we had a pretty good time oh. with it. The most... the Look, this this was not a very good adaptation of this it's film. It's a horrendous movie. But what it did do for me is it reminded me to go out and look up those other vacation movies, which yeah. I found... I mean, I, remembering that Johnny mm-hmm. Galecki played one of the kids, and, yeah. and I think Michael Anthony Hall played one of the kids. Yeah. Uh, what, what can I say about this movie? Christina Applegate is working her ass off. She kind of makes the movie. You know, she's yeah. she's working so hard to save What's this his, thing. She doesn't face. Yeah, Ed Ed Helm. Yeah, uh, him. The, the, I, he's he, terrible. You know, um, um, uh, Chevy Chase shows up. Beverly D'Angelo shows up. Oh, you know, Chevy looks so bad. He but no, well. this you know, this this one didn't didn't quite pull together. This has some special features on uh, Return to Wally World, uh, the Griswold Odyssey, uh, a gag reel, and some deleted scenes. Yeah, yeah it's no, it's a it tanked too. I mean, it's a really really unfortunate uh, waste of capital to have made this movie. I'm just, I'm, so, I'm sorry they made it. It's Ed, a Ed, very Hollywood thing to do, to reach back into the archives. But it, it's, it, 30 you know, years. It thinks that it's being cute. You know, they have sort of little double entendres like, oh, well, that can't possibly be as good as the first vacation. And, ha, ha, ho, ho, that's funny. I get it. But you know what? You, you're, you're calling my attention to the fact that you're lame. Yeah. And Ed Helms is not a star. You're, I don't not, know you're not disarming me. I remember when that guy was in commercials. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Tomorrowland it was a kind of a, a, a hotly anticipated Disney film until it wasn't. Uh, you know, here's the thing about Tomorrowland, and I'll, I'll leave it at this. Um, Tomorrowland should have been really interesting, um, but uh, Damon Lindelof was involved, and Lindelof is one of those screenwriters who overcomplicates and overwrites, and uh, he, he, he creates these, you know... He insinuates all of these sort of subtext and oh, themes it's, it's, into it's things. Too much. And frankly, when you add that to a, to a, to a director like Brad Bird, yeah. who, who's, a, who's a wonderful director who I yeah. enjoy quite a lot, but also likes layer upon layer of yeah. innuendo and things like that, and by the time you get to... Look, it's just a movie about, you know, some... It's Tomorrowland. It's okay. Relax, guys. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's. It's about you know this this imaginary. Well, this I wouldn't even call it imaginary. Where where you know the special kids go. It's yeah. sort of. I mean, it's it's a it's an endearing fantasy concept, but the execution here, 
um, just it gets it way too way get ahead of itself. It runs away from itself, and it's convoluted. And George Clooney just kind of feels miscast. And uh, the interesting thing is, nobody knew what this movie was about from the marketing. Yeah, they had that them. wonderful trailer with George Clooney narrating it, and it it, it just sounded ethereal and magical. And but, it seemed like a much lighter movie than it actually and, is. And I actually appreciated those trailers because I thought, well. I like that they're not telling me what it's about. I'm going to be surprised. Of course, the cynic in me should have kicked in at that point and said, ah, but studios aren't... <laughs> they don't do that. They don't do that. If the studio... the stu- No one at the studio is saying, let's be good to the audience for change and not let them know what it's about just as a courtesy. No, if a studio is not telling you what a movie's about in the trailer... It's because they're afraid of yeah. telling it. Yeah. yeah, I should have. I, my the, my warning bells should have gone off. But anyway, uh, you know what? This, this movie was saved by Fantastic Four when it came out because everybody forgot that this was probably <laughs> the worst film of, of the early part of the oh, year. Oh man. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's a uh, it's Blu-ray, DVD, and digital HD combo set. The uh, digital HD, of course, is Disney Movies Anywhere, which is their version of Ultraviolet, which is a much better implementation of the same idea. And a lot of bonus features here, uh, little uh, documentaries and featurettes and uh, fun stuff. And there's even a great thing, the World of Tomorrow Science Hour, which is uh, hosted by David Nix, who's a a futurologist. I don't even know if that's a real word. I'm pretty sure it's not. Uh, But uh, this is outtakes from a long-lost Disney series pilot, which I thought was really interesting. And, uh, you know, I mean, you know, Disney keeps trying to turn everything into everything on the theme park into a movie and every movie into a theme into park. Into a theme park, right. And, and, and make all of it merchandising. And I, I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you an interesting thing. You know, the, I, I have uh, two friends, two screenwriter friends, who both actually went in to pitch for a Disney film, uh, an assignment based on a, uh, a ride, based on an attraction. I will leave that attraction unnamed. But both of them, uh, I, I, I remember hearing essentially the same thing from them, which is, I don't even know why I was pitching this, because you, you just it's a, it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. There's nothing about this that makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, that's what they're trying to do, and that has not happened, of course. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, Southpaw. Let's uh, talk about the boxing Southpaw. film. Yeah. Jake. yeah. You know, uh, Southpaw uh, may resurrect itself at awards time. Uh, you think? You know, Harvey was talking it, talking it up pretty big. He's done this before. He'll talk something up to see if, you know, it's kind of like a trial balloon to see if he can float something. And he was talking up Jake Gyllenhaal for a Best Actor nomination. Look, um, you know, Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal, you got Kirk Sutter writing, Sons of Anarchy, yeah. and all that kind of yeah. stuff there, and Antoine Fuqua directing this film. That should have all added up to a better movie. You, I would in, agree. In, in my opinion. It, yeah. It's not that it's a bad movie in any, yeah. in any way whatsoever. It's a very familiar story that doesn't really tread any new territory, and that's a lot of firepower to, do, I, to make such an ordinary film. I thought the, the father-daughter dynamic was something I... I mean, again, it's... Yes, it's it's the champ, right? It's we've we've seen the the we've seen that sort of thing in boxing movies before, but I didn't think with this kind of grit. I mean, mm-hmm. I appreciated the grit. Uh, I appreciated that I actually believed that he's a boxer and that mm-hmm. he came from the background he came from. But yeah, I mean, it it it, it should have been a better movie. Uh, Forrest Whitaker basically play. You know, it's it, Forrest Whitaker basically plays. Uh, 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 Oh yeah, 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 yeah. From, from Rocky. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not the, the guy that penguin, uh, penguin. yeah, the penguin. Yeah, uh, yeah. Burgess, Burgess Meredith's character, you. the uh, standing back there. Yeah, which is interesting when we think about this. 
in juxtaposition to the upcoming Creed. Yes. Uh, Michael B. Jordan. Uh, and Rocky basically now yeah, taking over that part. Yeah, yeah. you know, because th- this movie felt, that movie now feels like it's going to be the sort of big Hollywood version of what this more indie sort of film. Have you seen the new trailer for Creed? Yeah, actually, the new trailer for Creed brought me around on it. It did because I was not—I was not, you know me—I was not—I was not—I was not not happy about this. Let's talk about that for a second because you know I think we've all had the same experience with the Rocky franchise, which is everybody loved Rocky, the original Rocky. I loved it at the time; don't love it so much now. And then when there's Rocky two, everybody's like, "Oh, but really?" Because the ending of Rocky, uh, he loses, and I now I know that he's going to win. Yeah, you're, you're gonna now you're going to give me what you didn't want to give me before, and that, that's which was kind of sophisticated, actually. You which know, was to, very to, to create a champion out of the guy that lost a fight. But then Rocky two sort of it, it, it basically it scratches the itch that the first one was so famous for not scratching. Yeah. So it's like, why did you do that? Why? And um, but for but. It's interesting because then Rocky II actually winds up being, a, apart from the predictability of it, a pretty compelling narrative. I yeah. mean, Creed is, still doesn't feel like he won because he didn't defeat his spirit. I mean, there's a very interesting dynamic. It, of and, and of course, you have this sort of, you know, I suppose everybody's seen the movie, but yeah. you, know, the, you mentioned Burgess Meredith and what happens yes, with him yes, in the movie exactly. and all of that, which is a, which is a dramatic it flourish is. that was sort of interesting. And then it manages to hang on and find another sort of pivotal dynamic, with, you know, because you've got Clubber Lang. Yeah. That's uh, Rocky Three, Rocky, you know, and, and, yeah. and I'm like, okay, you know, and, and then the big Ro- Russian dude, uh, Rocky Four, which is which is just off the wall ridiculous. Like whatever he hits, he kills. You yeah. Know, it, it, but what's interesting now, and you know, all the other Rocky movies that came after well, then, Rocky you know, Four, and all that, yeah, they, 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 what are another two or three in there that, that just are sort of don't really even long work. since lost a thread. Long since, but. It's interesting that Rocky Four, which is the one that everyone ridicules because it is so, I will break you. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. Dolph Lundgren, the whole thing, the you know James Brown yeah. living in America. I mean, it, it really is <laughs> over the top. But isn't it interesting that that's the one that now dovetails into Creed? Yeah, yeah, interesting. And, and I find that interesting because that first trailer for Creed, I watched it and I thought, oh, no, 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 please don't do this. You guys, the Fruitvale Station was such a gem. I wanted you to move, you know, into something not sideways into this rocky. No, don't do that. And I was so not on board. And then this latest trailer totally brought me around. Brought me around visually, but also narratively. Yeah. They, don't, they don't give a, a, a whole lot of information yeah. on it. Uh, but it puts, but but it's on a narrative arc that yeah. I found a little bit more compelling, much more interesting. You know, so it, it'll be you and I talked about the Michael B. and and, yeah. and, and and that kind of thing because you know I understand it and you know I understand it. Look, first movie, yeah. nobody made any money. No, uh, uh, you, you, time you, to get paid. Yeah, you know, yeah. get paid. Uh, because you're going to get paid. You make yeah. this movie with Sylvester Stallone. If the movie is successful, then you've made your career. Yeah. If the movie fails. Well, then you've paid your mortgage yeah. uh, off uh, for a while, and then you, yeah. figure out, you, know, you figure out the rest of your career. You probably yeah. you know, make a Netflix movie. And, and I, I think it, it's going to be a very good thing. Obviously, Michael B. Jordan, did, you know, he had no idea that Fantastic Four was going to tank. Yeah. But I think, given how badly that tanked, he's got to be grateful, at yeah. least if we hope that this film turns out as it does, because this will put his career right back he, to work he, where it needs and, to and be. He, and it's, it's really what he needed, you know. Yeah. So, you know, we, we shall see. But... So, all right, uh, Z for Zachariah. Yeah. Interesting film. Um, you know, as far as post-apocalyptic movies go, this is definitely an unusual one. It's, it's a three-hander. It's basically only three characters. Uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Margot Robbie, and Chris Pine. It takes place after some kind of a nuclear apocalypse. 
And Margot Robbie is the uh, daughter of a preacher in a small village in a canyon. And this valley uh, has survived for whatever reason. They, uh, it's, and she continues to sort of, you know, her brother and her parents went away to help people. But she has survived and she's sort of living alone there, um, just sustaining herself with whatever she has left uh, in, in the village. And... Um, Suddenly, Chirrut Ejiofor shows up. He's a scientist. He, uh, he's been wandering around in a radiation suit, and he was underground when everything hit. And he's amazed to find this, this canyon. Well, uh, an interesting film works in, in some fairly familiar territory. It becomes about you know, a, a, well, love, then, a and, triangle. And Chris Pine shows, shows up, and up, he's yeah. kind of that dark character. And you're not sure, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? She knows him from when they were kids. It's he was adjacent town, but... There's a little sexual tension. Sexual thing tension and that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Zobel, uh, right? The director yep. Yep. made that really interesting little indie. This is the exact thing we were just yeah. talking about a moment ago. Yeah. He made that little indie compliance about yes. those people working in the store and they get the, the phone call and they all sort of. Which, uh, based on a true story that I just cannot believe is true because those people are the stupidest people on earth. It's, you know, you, but you'd be very but, yeah. interested. And then, you know, the next thing out makes it makes, makes I, a nice big movie. Also, didn't do that well in the box. It did not. It's a, you know, it's a strange kind of small film, but. Uh, I mean, it's big, but it's small. That's the thing. It's got some scale to it, but it's only three characters. But anyway, it's based on a novel, and in, you can tell that it probably works better as a novel. But that being said, I thought the performances were sharp. I really like what Margot Robbie's doing with her career. Uh, Chris Pine did not embarrass me, which is saying something. And, you know, Chewie just, he can, yeah, do, yeah. He can do no wrong. Yeah, he's gonna the guy be can solid. do no wrong. He's always good. So, uh, Z for Zechariah, a, an unusual uh, post-apocalyptic movie as far as they're concerned. There's no Mad Max, no cars, no mutants, no, you know, no uh, war boys and, and all that nonsense. Actually, I like Greg Zobel. He, he also made The Great World of Sound, which is really a fascinating... Oh, that's right, he did, didn't Yeah, he? that was yeah. him, too, yeah. 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 Uh, and then uh, the Vatican tapes. Uh, not much to say here. This was just another one of those uh, movies that sort of tries to take Catholic lore and uh, turn it into something horrific and weird and, and uh, macabre. Um, these pop up every so often, uh, and you can't say that Catholic lore doesn't sort of lend itself to it, the exorcist, of course, being the one that most obviously lit that fuse. Um, this one uh, is, you know, middling. It's got a decent cast. Uh, Doug Ray Scott and Michael Pena are certainly decent actors. Uh, Olivia Taylor Dudley. Diamond Hunt and Jew. Alison Lohman around the... I think she's married to Mark... Ned Vildine, if I'm not Oh, mistaken. the director. Yeah, I'm almost yeah, sure she's married. Yeah. Knocked out. He, one of those crank movies was one of his movies a couple yeah. of years. Maybe the second or third crank movie. So, one or two of them, maybe. Anyway, this is, this. you know, you, you, you sort of know what you're getting if you're it, going, watching a movie called The Vatican Tapes. Oh, The Gift here I see uh, among the... The Gift was an absolutely fascinating little thriller. Uh, it's one of those it's something going on movies. There's something yeah. going on. You yeah. Know, there's a thing. And, you know, and, and, and I got to tell you, it's, a, it's an intense... Dark little movie, and it smacks you at the end. And at the end of the movie, you may or may not know exactly what's going on. Uh, uh, so it's very good. Jason Bateman, Rebecca Hall, of course, Joel Edgerton. Those Edgerton boys, those Australian boys, are in just about everything. They are. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, some bonus features here on an alternate ending, which is absolutely fascinating because this movie is all about the ending. The ending is what makes it work. So I find it fascinating that you could have an mm. alternate ending. <laughs> that could possibly still work. I mean, because the thing that makes this movie yeah. is the it's the very last moment of the movie. So, looking forward to that just for the alternate ending. And then, uh, arguably, the stinker of the summer. Um, we have pictures. <laughs> that movie. Oh man, well, Adam Sandler. 
Uh, yeah, we, we, we wonder what Adam Sandler is doing now. He's in his 50s, and he keeps trying to be that guy, and I just keep hoping he'll just turn into a real actor and kind of give this up. Uh, this is a Blu-ray 3D, Blu-ray, digital HD, ultraviolet combo set. No DVD in here, just Blu-ray, Blu-ray 3D, and uh, a code for your ultraviolet. Uh, really obnoxious lenticular cover to try and to catch And it's not like it's eye. not a lot of... Look, dude, this is a Chris, Chris Columbus film. Tim O'Hurley, yeah. he wrote this movie. Yeah. Kevin James is also in this. I know. It's but it's the meanest... It's a mean movie. That's what I will say about that. I don't like Look. this movie because it's a mean movie that doesn't like people and it does not like the characters. No. These beloved characters who we all love and it turns them into these sort of psychotic monsters. What... In what world is that okay? I, I, I have a theory about this, uh, and it's unsubstantiated, and it may be wrong. But there's, there's a um, – if we go back to the moment in Ghostbusters where Dan Aykroyd conjures up the uh, Stay Puft Marshmallow yeah, Man, yeah, yeah. right? And it's the idea of something that was sweet and innocuous from his childhood that now manifests itself as an invading monster that he has to fight. I have a theory that that moment sort of inspired this. That somebody, the, okay, yeah. that somebody said, hey, what if, you know, all of our favorite video game characters come back as like alien creations, like they misinterpreted video game signals or whatever, and uh, we, we, they, they, now they send them to attack us, and these Ghostbustery type guys, Adam Sandler, Peter Dinklage, Josh Gad, Kevin James, they get to do like a Ghostbuster thing. It'll be like the new Ghostbusters, a new franchise. Mm-hmm. We'll make 10 of them, and I'll make a billion dollars. And you're right. It, it's a nasty movie. It's a stupid premise. Yeah. It's strictly for people who remember all of these games, Centipede and Space Invaders, which is our generation. Yes. Why would anybody think that our generation is going to run out and see Adam Sandler in this movie? Yeah, it, particularly since we liked all of those games anyway. And if you are going to... I don't really want to see it. Why but, would I want to watch yeah. this instead of Ghostbusters? Ghostbusters has Bill Murray. Yeah, exactly. And Dan Aykroyd. Who's funny whether or not there's anything... And, and, C- Harold, and Harold Ramis and Ernie Hudson. Yeah. And you know, and and uh, and and what's her name? Ivan Reichman. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, dude, you got uh, yeah, yeah, everybody is in there. It's yeah. just a fantastic. You got Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, Sigourney uh, Weaver. I was thinking of I was thinking of Annie Potts. Annie actually, Potts. I was, love I was, Annie Potts. I was kind of obsessed with I Annie Potts. I adore Annie Potts. Anyway, you also get a, a Pixels game app in this thing, which no one in their in their right mind is ever going to play. Uh, it's loaded up with extras and exclusives. Uh, you know, on the creator of the machine and Space Invader and Pac Man and Donkey Kong, and they, 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 you know, they get into all of the. the it, it's just, it's. I just don't see this doing any business. But whatever, they're obligated to send it out there. So Pixels uh, rent it if you want to just be amazed at at how misbegotten this movie was. <laughs> uh, so let's see, uh, Tim. Why don't we? Um, oh, you know what? I'm going to make mention of another thing over here real quickly. Um, this stack. stack there. This stack right here. This is a this is a thing from IndiePix. If you if you uh, follow IndiePix, IndiePix is a is an indie label. They re- release movies theatrically and uh, uh, on DVD as well. And it's uh, they're always really kind of very super super low budget things. But they their whole um, business model is that they give. Uh, uh, they give a chance to independent producers and independent directors and, and people whose movies might otherwise be really, really on the, uh, on, the, on the low end of the totem and not really have a shot. They give them 
uh, a chance at uh, getting their stuff out on DVD and in theaters. And uh, th they've released a number of titles over the years, but they've just done really, something really interesting. They've taken a whole bunch of these titles and they've packaged them mm. into uh, a box set so that you now, you know, if you if you don't take any interest in any one of them in particular, you might watch all of these. And it is called the IndiePix Mix 10. And it's ten titles. Uh, All My Friends Are Funeral Singers, Artois the Goat, which is actually really good, yeah. Evergreen, The DeVilles, uh, The Axe in the Attic, Front Runner, Echo Tone, uh, Candyman, The David Klein Story, and Jack Taylor of Beverly Hills, which is also a very interesting film. So these are all really, really low-end films. Uh, but they come now in this uh, IndiePix uh, Mix 10, which uh, is a really, really interesting uh, bunch of films. And uh, it's, it's very affordably priced, and I would recommend that people uh, check this out so that they can sort of uh, experience the, the far end of independent cinema and sort of see you know, what a lot of these guys do. These movies are really actually quite good for the small amount that they had and the resources. And, and they range, some of, those, some of those movies, early 90s, yeah. mid-90s, yeah. early 2000s, mid-2000s, like that. Tim, why don't we, uh, why don't we burn through some, uh, some music? Music, uh, music well, titles right now. Well, we got, we got a few things here. That we got a few things here. As I pick them up off the floor, they fall off here. They might be kind of interesting. So we have Adamant, uh, The Blue Black Hussar, which is a Jack Bond film. This, this, uh, uh, this is sort of an interesting movie. Charlotte Rampling, Mark Ronson, uh, a, a music film behind the scenes kind of thing. Adamant is, you know, an eclectic sort of acquired taste, I suppose, um, you know, if, you, if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, but Mark Ronson is actually uh, on this film talking about this I still say Goody Two-Shoes is the most monotonous, boring song ever written. I love Adamant, but honestly, Goody Two-Shoes, it's like four notes played over and over and over. With about the same amount of lyrics, I should, I should think, too. Anyway. Two Leonard Skinner t uh, DVDs here. One thing called Gone with the Wind, the remarkable rise and tragic fall of Leonard Skinner. kind of speaks to it right there in the title. Uh, uh, Leonard Skinner popped on the scene in about 1993. Uh, at, you know, at the beginning of that whole sort of uh, country rock, country soul mm -hmm. kind of scene there. Yeah. Uh, and, sort of, and sort of, you know, burned its way uh, into the zeitgeist of the day. This is a long, long, long documentary, 163 minutes long. The other one is Leonard Skinner. Uh, um, which is an interesting thing, live from Jacksonville, Florida. I don't remember exactly when this concert was. I think this was sometime in the late 90s, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but, you know, this is, this, is, this is simply for fans, fans of Leonard Skinner. If that's what you're doing, you're going to love that a whole lot. And um, I got a bunch of classical stuff here that we get from Naxos. Naxos is, the, uh, is a premier classical DVD and uh, Blu-ray company. Mark always rips on me because I always, I always share the opera titles uh, because our fans are fans of opera. Whether you realize it or not, you are. Uh, <laughs> the, anyway, which is actually so true. Yeah. Uh, no, we've got uh, got a number of really really cool uh, titles here, uh, starting with uh, Vivaldi. Uh, Il Farnace. Uh, this is from uh, the. Where was this performed? This is the uh, Orchestra Maggio Musicale Fiorentino. Uh, so this is uh, this is an Italian performance. Um, we also have uh, Leos Janacek, uh, Genufa from the uh, Berlin Deutsche Opera. Uh, Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake for ballet fans. Is that the one from the the, the early eighties? 
Is that particular one? Or it's Swan Lake? That's Swan Lake, yeah. No, this is this one like this is a new Swan Lake. Oh, okay. This is a new performance of Swan Lake. Uh, done at the Royal Opera House, uh, with the Royal Ballet. This is a British uh, British performance. Absolutely beautiful. You can do no wrong with Swan Lake. There have been a lot of kind of avant garde Swan Lakes over the years, you know, everybody try- keeps trying to reinvent it. Yeah. But this is actually really, really quite good. Uh, La Belle Hélène is an Offenbach opera, uh, very modern, very cool, very, uh, very, very slick. Uh, if you don't like opera, that might be your uh, your bag. Mark's gonna laugh when he finds out we talked about opera. He's gonna be <laughs> just so grateful that he wasn't here. Uh, La Resiana by Francesco Cilea. I'm not familiar with uh, the uh, the composer or anyone to do with it. Uh, didn't find it all that compelling. Oh, showboat. Showboat with the San Francisco Opera. Showboat, of course, is not an opera; it is yeah. an operetta, yeah. and it is just magnificent. I have, you know, I saw Showboat when they when they had it before they tore down the uh, Schubert Theater here. Oh, yeah. They had a uh, they had a revival of Showboat here, and it was absolutely spectacular. It's just uh, it's an unbelievable performance, it's an exquisite. unbelievable show. And the thing is, you, you whenever you put on Showboat, it is an invitation. To find a an absolutely amazing singer to sing Old Man River, yeah, because it's such a great piece of music. You just like we, who, anyone out there who is, if you're the greatest singer of your generation, come on down. And it doesn't we'll have to just, be a baritone either, doesn't you? That's no, sort of right. no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I heard a tenor uh, version of that. Yeah. It was just exquisite, absolutely beautiful. So uh, this is a production with the San Francisco Opera. It is absolutely wonderful. Uh, you can do no wrong with Showboat. Uh, and then Tannhauser. Oh, the Wagner. If you're a Wagner fan, uh, this is pretty great. The nice thing about opera, I have actually seen Wagnerian opera uh, live. For one of my birthdays many years ago, my wife took me to see uh, Tristan and Isolde, which for those of you who don't know, it's like 11 hours long. Yeah. And, I'm not, <laughs> and I'm not joking. It is literally like 11 hours long. You, there's a lunch break. You yeah. go for, it's, it's, I think it's probably more like eight hours, but in, in any case, you sit there for about four hours reading subtitles and listening to it and just sweating and, and thinking, my, is this ever going to end? And then you go out for lunch, and then you come back in another four hours, and then you go home and go to bed. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it is. It's not the James Frankel film, yeah, folks. No, not that, it's not. With uh, Kevin Reynolds, not that. No. no. So anyway, this is Tannhauser. It's, it's not as overbearing, but it's, uh, it's pretty intense. Uh, so at least at home, you can put it on pause and pick it up the next day and you know, do whatever you need to do. Uh, Franz Schubert, uh, Fierabra, uh, is, is really a beautiful production. This is, uh, staged by Peter Stein, who is, who's like a big deal in the world of opera, and, uh, this is very impressively put together. Uh, it, it's not exactly something that anybody is, you know, most, most of our listeners probably aren't familiar with, but, uh, look up Fierabra, two R's, F-I-E-R-R-A-B-R-A-S. It's a really cool production design. Uh, and then the World Orchestra for Peace at the BBC, Mahler's Symphonies 4 and 5, beautiful, beautiful performances of two amazing uh, symphonies. Uh, Handel's Rinaldo oh. in a Blu-ray and double CD edition, uh, also very, very impressive. And uh, then the last few titles here, let me get to these real quickly, uh, Madrigal History Tour with the King's Singers. Um, is beautiful. This is a. I, I was never familiar with the King Singers before, but it's a. It's a beautiful singing ensemble, and they do classical, they do Beatles, they do uh, all kinds of stuff. It's, it's just they're sort of all over the map. And then uh, Rossini's Aureliano in Palmyra, and um, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart's Don Giovanni. Oh, Don Giovanni. 
Yeah, those are those are beautiful new uh, new uh, additions. And then lastly, uh, opening gala concert, a John Williams celebration. This is this is great. This is a uh, Los Angeles Philharmonic uh, Walt Disney Concert Hall performance of a bunch of John Williams. So all the great scores, all the great stuff. Star Wars, E.T., Amistad, Schindler's List, Fiddler on the Roof. You know, people forget he won an yeah, Oscar yeah, for the for adapted me. score for Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah. That's how far back he goes. So that's that's great. And the the, the Disney Concert Hall, which I know you've covered many many, many times. Yeah, ex- incredible acoustics. Yes, uh, perfect for recording. Yeah. So uh, there is that. So uh, Mark is Mark is spared another month and the a half. Opera, of, uh, the of opera, the operas are covered. Mark, relax. You're good. Operas are covered. Um, let's see. We got some. You know what? Let's uh, Tim. Let's do some docs, and then we'll get into some classic movies. Okay. Um, there are some uh, some really interesting docs here. One that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, it's uh, it's gotten a lot of traction. This is uh, this was an Emmy nominated doc, and uh, I don't know if it's even Oscar. It might be Oscar eligible as well. I'm not quite clear on the eligibility overlap between Emmys and Oscars, but we'll see. It's going clear. Scientology and the Prison of Belief. Uh, the the reason I'm a little uncomfortable about this is al- I'm always uncomfortable with things that feel like hatchet pieces. And, uh, you know, Scientology has become everybody's uh, whipping boy of late ever since Tom Cruise went and jumped on Oprah's couch and uh, made everybody think. Uh, not, not to mention that movie, Going Clear, the doc Going Clear. Well, that's the one we're talking about. I didn't realize that's what we were talking about. So, yeah. Inter- yeah, absolutely interesting. Yeah. And actually sort of changed the sort of public perception. And the thing is, nobody from Scientology was willing to go on the record to sort of represent their side of this. And I'm not sure how I feel about that because it winds up making the film feel very one-sided and polemical. But on the other side, if I knew somebody was doing a hatchet piece on me, I'm not sure I'd cooperate. Well, Scientology has always been very protective and actually kind of aggressive yeah. about anything to do with them. I mean, back in the 90s, they would sue pretty much anyone yeah. that said anything. And most recently in the news, you know, news about Leah Remini and... Yeah. Um, the whole See, that, that, Leah, Rem- that Leah Remini uh, 2020 uh, interview, yeah. really, and then Kirstie Alley came out with a statement. It's a, it just continues to be a thing in the news, and it just, um, you know, it's... Anyway, going clear, very, very controversial doc, but it is, as long as you understand it's one-sided, yeah. it is very interesting. And uh, it certainly raises a lot of interesting questions and a lot of very ethical ethical issues there. So we'll we'll see how that how it eventually shakes out. I have a feeling it's going to be one of many documentaries about Scientology over the years. And I'm not sure it's going to make any difference. Probably doesn't. Uh, yeah, uh, probably doesn't. Uh, Jamil Shabazz, street photographer. This is very interesting. Jamil Shabazz. Most recently, I think a documentary called Through the Limbs Darkly. Yeah, uh, was one of his films. Very, very good film. Um, he's known for several things, uh, everybody on the street. This one is called uh, Street Photographers. Just wonderful, wonderful uh, documentary about him and his photography, which goes back some 20, 25-odd years, mostly of young African-American folks in urban environments, uh, you know, various different places around the world, doing uh, what they do, capturing the life of, of young uh, black folks in the world. Very, uh, Charlie Ahern directed the film. Right. I've I've seen a few I've seen I've seen some of Shabazz's stuff not as not enough actually but uh, yeah I love street photographers it's I do. just you know it's going back for decades because Stanley Kubrick was originally a street a photographer. street photographer yeah exactly for exactly. For, for Look magazine uh, Martha Davis in the motels uh, at the the motels live at the Whiskey a Go Go 50th anniversary special could have included this in the in the music segment but it uh, it, it it almost feels more it, it, like it belongs with the docs because there is a um, there's a there's a I don't know it's a you know it, it was an interesting performance this is about a year and a half ago that they did this I think this was early uh, 2014 
but um, you you get a you get a, it, basically the the motels started their career. They started their you know at the Whiskey a Go Go, and mm-hmm. people forget what the Whiskey a Go Go originally was. If you're in Los Angeles, you know the Whiskey a Go Go is kind of one of the premier performance places on the Sunset Strip, but it. Um, it originally was a go-go place. Yeah. There were girls in cages. Girls in da- cages dancing in yeah. patent leather boots. Yeah, the, exactly. The, the whole the whole deal. I mean, that's what it that was originally. That whole strip right there, Gazaras and the whiskey and the yeah. rainbow and you know, all that stuff. It's, it's just, it's a, it's a fascinating history. And it's it's probably a, a, a little about, like, uh, what's the place in New in uh, New York? The place uh, CBGB's. CBGB's. Yeah. Which originally was supposed to be, if you saw the film with Alan Rickman, yeah. was, which is great, uh, that was originally supposed to be, you know, CBGB was, you know, country blues right he, he had that's a whole, what it actually is, is, that's yeah, what it meant yeah. he had a whole plan for the music that was going to be there and of course that never panned out no but instead he went up punk club yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's where i played on that stage once. blondie and iggy pop and you know that it, it suddenly it just the he police started, the yeah, police yeah. he inadvertently launched a comp- an entirely different music scene so anyway this is a 50th anniversary performance by uh, martha davis in the motels and uh of course a lot of us you know i am of the generation that grew up sort of at the end of the motels, you know, only the lonely and, mm. and stuff like that. But there's a whole catalog of music that predates that, and uh, you know, she is just she's she's indefatigable. She really is great, uh, Martha Davis. She knows how old she is. She owns it. She mm. jokes about it on stage, uh, and a lot of great, just a lot of great tunes. It's really uh, it's really nice. So that's a that's a great Blu-ray. Here's a fun uh, documentary. It's actually a, a series that w- that ran from about 2002. James Bond gadgets. Um, which is all about that exactly, uh, uh, all of the different toys uh, that popped up in James Bond movies over the course of the last, what now, 50 years? What we, yeah. The 50 yeah. years of James Bond now? Yeah, 50 so, years. You know, a lot of fun there. This, Plus. This is you know, 40, 45 episodes worth of stuff on uh, James Bond gadgets. Love the gadgets. People, people watch the thing just for the gadgets. Well, some of the, some of the stuff is kind of fun because a lot of it was you know, really sort of conceptual and came into being little gas powered, uh, yeah. operated uh, fountain pens that yeah. you can kill people with. You know, <laughs> uh, Vladimir Putin probably enjoys most of that I'm stuff. Sure, I'm sure a lot of the spy agencies of the world watch James Bond movies to get new ideas. They, hey, do That's... we have one of those? <laughs> that would come in handy. Uh, Joe Strummer on the run in I Need a Dodge. Uh, this is a Nick Hall documentary that looks uh, basically at the life of Joe Strummer. I, I am not a Joe Strummer fan, I should say, but... Um, it, this begins with an interview from 1997 of Joe Strummer on the radio, and uh, gets into. It's a very, it's a very interesting, um, it's a very speci- weird kind of offbeat specific documentary, uh, which deals with specifically a lost car. And I, I, I won't tell you any more than that. But if you think, wait a minute, the guy from the Clash and he lost a car and they made a documentary about it, it's it it it. It makes sense. It kind of comes together. So you just gotta gotta trust me on that. It it, uh, it does make sense. It's worth watching. I think only if you're a, a Clash fan. Only if you sort of get the uh, understand the context. But it it's still it's interesting. Uh, one of the really great ones that we have here that I, I really can't wait to recommend people go see is Best of Enemies. We talked about this on the radio. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Buckley versus Vidal, the 1968 Democratic uh, um, 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 convention. Uh, convention. Yes. The uh, yeah. Uh, and I believe it was the ABC network that couldn't quite muster the funds they to cover were, the convention properly. They couldn't. ABC was uh, they were they were third. They were well below CBS and uh, and NBC, and they uh, they 
were doing anything they could to sort of resurrect their news operation. To create a news operation. To create a news operation and be legit. And uh, they came up with sort of what would be a reality television idea today. And they said, hey, let's get the most conservative guy in America, William F. Buckley, Mm -hmm. and let's get the most rabid left-wing guy in America, uh, Gore Vidal, and let's just basically put them into an intellectual cage match on television and let the cameras roll. And let let these guys go at it. And they, in fact, went at it, didn't they? And they did. And, and, you know, it wound up being a series of televised debates that uh, is legendary to this day because these two guys are just both intellectual giants and hopelessly narcissists. Blowhards. Yeah. And when you combine all of that in these volatile settings, and there's a moment where it just gets, it goes off the cliff. Well, you know, a, a famous Buckley television says moment. something that he that you can't <laughs> say on television that he said out loud anyway. And Gore Vidal came back, which is relentlessly, and it, it it is a fascinating look at a certain uh, piece of history. And in, and I it really, you can trace reality television to this yeah. moment. Yeah. Uh, Robert Gordon and Morgan Neville. Morgan Neville, I think, one of the directors, Twenty Feet from Stardom. Yep. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, it is. Uh, it's a superb film. It's just really, really. It's particularly when you look back at the this stuff from yeah. from from in, in hindsight, from our perch now, we can see how that all played out. Both of those guys are dead now. Yeah. Uh, and it is ironic, you know, it's sort of irrelevant well, the, who won those d- debates, but it is interesting who won the not going, actual culture wars. No one is going, yes, it is. It, it's, it's interesting to see sort of who who was ahead of what curve in this thing. And no one who watches this today is going to be persuaded. I mean, if you're if you're uh, on the left or you're on the right, you're going to watch it and you're going to pe- feel completely validated by yeah. your guy and you're going to hate the other guy. So it's not going to win any converts. But what it is interesting is that at a certain point, and it's sort of that one pivotal moment, Gore Vidal has always realized, you know, because he has a Hollywood background, he's always realized that they're putting on a show. They're he's, performing. He's been he was he was always just entertaining. He was always he was aware sincere of the camera. about yeah. his perspectives and point. They both wore, but he, he but he under he understood what they were actually he doing. He understood that there was a camera and an audience and its performance because he understood that at any given moment, if the people are not entertained, they're gonna switch over to Bonanza or something else or CBS or NBC. He got it. Buckley never it wasn't until Gore Vidal essentially said so to his face that Buckley realized, oh, that's what we're doing. Yeah, this is a show. But then Gore Vidal was never able to keep that going. Buckley's the one who then went on with firing line and yeah. basically capitalized on that. So in many respects, you could even say that Buckley owes Gore Vidal his that that that, that last part of his 35, career. 40 years of his career. Yeah. Otherwise, he would have just been writing a new report. Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. Very interesting stuff. Yes. Best of enemies. Yes. That one is. Uh, Matthew Shepard is a friend of mine's. Um, which is just a, a lovely movie about Matthew Shepard, who, of course, we know was murdered. So hor- such a horrible, um, horrible event. In the, in the years since his death, of course, much has happened in the world of uh, gay rights, and we've moved especially f- this year. Yeah, especially this year. Would yeah. do it. So, so you know, this is a this is a chilling, this is a chilling just reminder of how far we've come and uh, how important it was to try to get there. Uh, we've been talking about video games today, and uh, we've. You know, have uh, pixels just gets on your nerves. There's a, but this is interesting. This is an Xbox Originals documentary. Atari Game Over. The hunt is on. Uh, should probably have been better. I wish they'd have spent a little bit more money on this. But the idea here is that there's this urban legend uh, about the this thing called the Great Video Game Burial of 1983. And uh, it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. But basically what it says is that, that uh, the, as the legend goes, 
that because the 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 ET video game was such a catastrophe and such <laughs> a failure that millions of cartridges for the Atari game system simply were never sold. They were just disposed of and buried somewhere in a new, in the New Mexico desert. And um, a lot of video game fans actually believe that this is true and that they can go and find them and unearth them somewhere. So these these buried ET video games become this weird holy grail. It's very it's very strange and disturbing and weird and eccentric and um, it's a good doc, but it it ought to be better. They should there should have been a little bit more money and resource and polish put into it. But as it is, certainly if if urban legend weird video game movies appeal to you, I think you'll probably enjoy something in it. That that, that is a, an interesting sort of urban legend, you know, it's about weird. this. You know, I don't how would even how that even get started. You know, it just anyway. Uh, Everything Counts, One Cut, One Life. Uh, this is a, f- a film by Lucia Small and Ed Pincus, two kind of legends of documentary filmmaking, especially Ed Pincus. Uh, one Cut, One Life. It, um, this is from First Run. And uh, they've made films together before, but this is very different because it's about them. Ed Pincus uh, comes down with terminal cancer, and he solicits um, Lucia Small, with whom he hasn't worked for many years, to essentially... Um, film him to capture his this this part of his life, this segment of his life, and it creates tension with his wife, and uh, it creates kind of an interesting variation on the films on the first person uh, sort of you were you know in the room with them documentaries that they were famous for making the just fly on the wall documentaries. Uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily a great doc, but given the, the the stature of the people who made it, if you are a fan of their earlier work, this is definitely the the bookend to it, and it is important to watch. Some mm. interesting interesting uh, extras here, including uh, panel discussions and uh, filmmaker interview and some deleted scenes. Uh, I have one here: the girls in the band. This is a this is a this is a, a documentary that's a very interesting thing. Yeah, particularly if you happen to come from something of a musical background. So, and from the from the twenties, really, actually the teens. Straight through the 50s, there was a very interesting history of women who worked as jazz musicians. Uh, we all think about the great jazz musicians, um, you know, everybody from, from the piano players, you know, Louis Armstrong, uh, the, the Krupas, the Buddy Riches, the drummers, all of these wonderful people, the, the Coltrane's and all of that. Well, there were women who were virtuosos um, during this entire period of time whose names have sort of fallen out of that history. Uh, so you had these people like Marion McPartland and Esperanza Sparling, uh, Spalding and, uh, and Terry Lynn Carrington, all the way through Patrice Russian, who I used to go see oh in St. Louis all the time. Wonderful. Love Patrice just, Russian. Uh, um, uh, and uh, who, who were part and parcel and very important to the development of all that music. All those names that we think about, that these women have fallen by the wayside. This documentary uh, speaks to that history in, in all of these women. Wonderful, wonderful performances. Uh, in this documentary by these people. So if you are a music lover, particularly a, a lover of big band music and jazz in general, Good stuff. From, from the late 20, this is where you want to be. And then uh, we've also got a doc called Tap World, which is kind of a, an expansion on a short film called Tap Heat. And uh, it is, uh, it's, if you love tap dancing, and I just adore tap dancing, I, I, it's, it's something my father always used to want me to get into and never, you know, obviously never did, so I kind of have that, uh, that missed thing. And I would have been a terrible tap dancer. <laughs> you were good at soccer. I, yeah, but I don't, I'm not coordinated enough to dance. But anyway, tap dancing is just wonderful. And you can go all the way back, obviously, to you know, Gene Kelly and all the way up to Gregory Hines. And there's just a, there's a wonderful tradition of tap dancing. Anyway, these are tap dancers from all over the world. 
And this is from Virgil Films, and uh, it's uh, it, it basically just it deals. It, it's kind of a it is it is kind of a competition in a way. Uh, you've got 115 different people who submitted from over a dozen different company uh, countries, and uh, they chose the very very best and kind of weave them together in this. And it is uh, it's just wonderful. It is absolutely wonderful. You see some of the best dancing in the world, and it's from all over. I mean, there are tap dancers from every single continent in here. There are tap dancers from India for crying out loud. I never knew they tap danced in India. <laughs> I've seen India. I've seen Bollywood documentaries. There's no tap dancing in those things. They never quite get there. I've no. seen the dancing. I love Bollywood dancing, but it's not tap dancing. It's like how you know. It's a very surprising and wonderful uh, to discover how universal tap dancing is. Fantastic. There's a. There, this is an interesting little documentary series that I have here called Last Season. Um, this is sort of poignant. This is about two old soldiers, Vietnam uh, Vietnam vet- veteran and a Cambodian refugee. They were soldiers in the war, and, and how they sort of bond over a search for this particular mushroom, kind mm. of mushroom. Uh, it's about the love of nature and, 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 and how the you know, old wounds from things that happened long ago can be healed by a common thread, by a common thing that people can sort of uh, wrap their hearts around. It's a, it's, a, it's a lovely movie. It's called The Last Season. So, you know, I don't know if you have issues around that kind of stuff, it's, uh, it might be the kind of thing you, you want to check out. And uh, now we're going to get into a few, uh, as we start to wrap out the show, we're going to start to cover some foreign stuff. And Tim, I have a really interesting title here. It is rather fortuitous that that you wind up here uh, (laughs) co-hosting the show today. Um, uh, Mark would have said, why don't you and I do any commentaries anymore? Uh, this is a three-film set from the Cohen Film Collection, a beautiful Blu-ray, three movies by Benoit Jaco, the amazing French director, and the films all have kind of a very common feminist thread to them. Yeah. And the films are, for, uh, spanning his career, the wonderful uh, The Desen- Disenchanted, A Single Girl, and Keep It Quiet, all featuring some of the greatest actresses uh, you can imagine, Judith Godresh. In The Disenchanted, Virginie Ledoyenne uh, in A Single Girl, and uh, Isabelle Huppert in Keep It Quiet. And the best thing about this set, Tim, is that it's got three commentaries by you and I. <laughs> one, one on each one of the films. Yes, one on each uh, we had a great time talking about those yes. movies. Um, Jacquo being one of um, uh, yeah, our favorite directors, who had a film recently... Yes, uh, that we, did, we actually talked about on a film. Which we I can't did. remember the title of it oh. right now. It was also an exquisite film. Three Hearts. That was the film. Three yeah, Hearts. Yeah, that's it. Just an exquisite Char- film. Charlotte Gainsbourg and uh, uh, Mastriani's and, uh, uh, the, the, the yes. chair. Mastriani. Charlotte Mastriani. Lovely, lovely, yeah. lovely film. Also with sort of female program. classic yeah. Benoit Jacquot. Yeah. And uh, we had a great time talking about those yeah. three movies. Um, uh, we went pretty deep. We we get we went really deep. I mean, it's really wonderful stuff. And there's a, a lot of great extras on here. Uh, the uh, obviously our commentaries are you know that's what you really want to tune in for but no there's there's a there are some really interesting uh, on camera discussions with uh, Jaco and uh, Kent Jones that get into a lot of the the details which were were wonderful to watch because we watched those before doing the commentaries exactly, and it sort of yeah. it, it triggered a lot of our thoughts as well so I mean if you're if you're a Jaco friend even if you're not I mean he's just one of the great filmmakers of the of the modern French era he's just you know, it, it, especially the 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 real time camera work that he does in some of these. I mean, uh, a single girl is amazing. It's all real time. Yeah, yeah, it's really impressive. There's an opening sequence uh, in it's that film uh, when he's in the car behind it, it, behind uh, um, uh, that character. That yep. entire scene plays out from the back seat. Yep, and it's just an absolutely gorgeous. It's, it's fantastic. 
Carry on. Uh, that, yeah, yeah, a special day. Uh, a 1977 film starring Sophia Loren and Marce- uh, Marcello Mastriani, which is interesting because, yeah. you know, Chiara is, is in that other movie. Yeah. Uh, this is an interesting film, too. Love uh, them when they're together. Just the other day, I had... This is the Criterion. This is the Criterion disc in Blu-ray. Um, just the other day, I had a chance to watch uh, the, Sika, uh, the Sika set with um, uh, Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. Oh, it's so, with those, fun. With those, with yeah. so fun with yeah. those three sequences with Sophia and uh, and Master. So this is another one of those. It's just an absolutely fantastic movie. Beautiful, yeah. He, you know, he's just. I mean, Mastroianni is just. Uh, he's one of the great stars of all time. He's one of those few guys who could just sort of. And Jack Nicholson has this too. He can just sort of magnetize you in a close up. Well, yeah, and he's more than Fellini's alter ego. Yeah, you know, well, I mean, we th- we think of him, and you know, it's yeah. a lot of like you know walking around those Fellini. Fellini films, but he's he's much deeper than that. Uh, also from Criterion is a film that I can I, I I would probably consider this one of the at least one of the ten best films ever made. Uh, I might even pop it up into the top five. Uh, Masaki Kobayashi's Kaidan. Kaidan. Um, Kaidan is a just Kaidan means ghost story in Japanese. Uh, this was made in 1965, right in the heat of the Japanese new wave. It is uh, the archetypal Japanese new wave film because it is stylistically audacious. It is, it is brash with its colors. Its storytelling is, is just aggressive. Uh, it does all of the things that, that were sort of scattered throughout other films during the Japanese New Wave, but this sort of brings it all together. It is, it is an anthology of ghost stories, and uh, the most dazzling, of course, being uh, Oichi the Earless, which is a creepy name uh, if there ever was one, but it is uh, everything about this is just astonishing. Uh, Kobayashi, really one of the great French, uh, French, one of the great Japanese directors of all time. Uh, the mo- his, pro- other than Kwaidan, his most famous films are also uh, the available on a Criterion set, which is the Human Condition trilogy. Three films, each of them three hours long, detailing uh, a facsimile of his experience during World War II as a soldier a reluctant soldier in the Japanese army in, uh, during the Chinese occupation. And to go from kind of a nine-hour epic war black-and-white odyssey to a, a actually a somewhat brisk three-hour anthology uh, in color is really an extraordinary turnaround. So he, uh, he just nails it here. He absolutely nails it. This is a 2K uh, restoration with tons of stuff on it. The, uh, an interview from 1993 with uh, Kobayashi, um, a new audio commentary with Stephen Prince, who's done a ton of these for, for uh, Criterion, and uh, various other little tidbits that are that'll just give you a, a very very deep appreciation about the uh, the folk tales and the movies. So it is uh, it is first rate. And another another absolutely fantastic masterpiece by Eric Romer, uh, Full Moon in Paris, uh, which, uh, which is just a lovely lovely film uh, as well. Uh, Fabrice Lucini. Yeah, this film. Hey, we were talking about him and something else recently. I can't. Maybe it was something on the radio on, on the other show that we do. Or yeah, like that. but he's you know he, 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 that face uh, is is just exquisite. They're very. This is a 1984 film. Uh, so if you get a chance, you definitely want to check out Full Moon in Paris. Is this a criterion? No, it's not. This no. is just a DVD release. Just a regular DVD regular release DVD from release. Uh, Film Movement, actually. So um, yeah. And then we also have uh, a, an interesting film that was at Cannes. This is another Film Movement title. 
this is Amour Fou uh, by Jessica Hausner. And um, this is, you know, I, I'm, this was a, a kind of a bit, of a bit of a thing at Cannes. It's on Blu-ray, which is uh, rather unusual. Uh, you know, they're very selective at film movement about the films they put on Blu-ray right now. Um, this, is a, this is a very unusual story. Uh, based in reality that took place in 1811 uh, that deals with a, a double suicide involving a German author named Heinrich von Kleist um, and a woman with whom he was involved named uh, Henriette Vogel. It is, um, it is, it is it, how this actually happens, because he's a guy who's obsessed with suicide throughout yeah. the whole film. He wants to kill himself. He just wants to find the right person to kill himself with. He needs to have someone who was willing to be a partner in this double suicide. It's very deeply twisted and disturbing. And it took me like three-fourths of the movie to realize that this is effectively a dark comedy. Um, if you know that going in, I urge you to know that going in, uh, you will be able to appreciate it a little bit more. Because otherwise, it just becomes almost unbearably creepy. It is very subtle. It doesn't sort of play its comedic hand in any, any regard. But the, the level of absurdism as it grows, eventually you, you come to sort of realize that it is just... It's a very staged film. Lots, very, lots of master shots that yeah. are almost painterly. It's, so you have to sort of just know that going in. It is, it is a... Uh, it is a uh, it's supposed to be kind of a dark, dark comedy. Uh, and then Uli Lommel's Tenderness of the Wolves from Arrow Video, who's doing a lot of interesting stuff now. Uh, this is a Blu-ray DVD combo set. And uh, Uli Lommel's Tenderness of Wolves, uh, or Tenderness of the Wolves, is, um, boy, I, I almost don't even know how to, this is, this is one of the strangest German movies you will ever see. It was produced by Fassbender, uh, who briefly shows up in it. And uh, like all of Fassbender's films, it is completely different from anything you would expect to be like any other Fassbender film. But it's not a Fassbender film. It is, of course, uh, directed by Uli Lommel, who is a contemporary and a friend of Fassbender's. And uh, it, it's, it's kind of a, a serial killer vampire thing, but it, it's, it, uh, it is also a, it's based on a very, well, it's based on a historical event that actually uh, inspired Fritz Lang's M. Mm. But it takes a very different angle on it, and it does it in a, in a really macabre, almost horrific, almost over-the-top way. I'm, uh, it, it's a, you know, German films from this particular period were very, oh, gosh, how would I say? They, um, they could be very subtle or they could be very extreme, and there was really no in-between. And Fassbender tended to make very subtle films, except on a few occasions when he made things like Quarel, which is very extreme, you know, the giant sort of yeah. towers shaped like penises and all that weird stuff. And, and this goes into a very stylistic extreme, and it's little, it, 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 it's, it's pretty gruesome. It's pretty gruesome. So I won't recommend it to anybody, but if you're kind of an exploitation fan and if you're a foreign film fan, if you like things like Eyes Without a Face, the, mm. the famous French film, uh, it has that kind of foreign horror quality to it. But it's not, it's not like a Polanski film, let's put it that way. And I'm looking at the Marquise of O right here. This is a, um, this is a, uh, a mid-'70s uh, special jury prize uh, at, at Cannes. Eric Romer film, another Eric Romer film, set in the... About uh, the 1799, late 1800s, it's about a marquise who becomes pregnant mm -hmm. uh, um, by circumstances that she has to explain to her. It's actually a very witty and beautiful film. Um, uh, I, you know, it's, it's funny. We, uh, fast, the Fast Binder and uh, Fast Binder and, um, and, and Romer uh, sort of go together to me in a certain sort of yeah, way. You know, it's, I hear an you. it's an interesting sort of yeah. sort of journey that they march, making these sort of beautiful films that aren't quite metaphysical. 
but but exist in a world that doesn't really exist in worlds right. that don't really exist at all, do yeah. they? Yeah, no. interesting stuff. And uh, Tudor, Nicole, how do you say that in French? Way uh, uh, Tudor, Nicole, uh, sleep. In other words, go to sleep, Nicole. Uh, uh, which is yeah. a, a, a recent film, 2014 film. The director of that film, if I'm not mistaken, Stéphane Lafleur. He 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 he's an editor. I, I, I'm sure he's, he's directed a few films. He's an, he directed a film called um, uh, Monsieur Lazare. Oh, that's the guy. Ago. No, he, he, which which the uh, the French Canadian film. The French Canadian film, that right? Was Oscar nominated. Yeah, yeah, he 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 edited that film. This one I actually haven't seen, but it strikes me as interesting for that reason alone. Oh wow. Well, anyway, yeah. No, this is uh, this is funded by Telefilm Canada. A French language Canadian film, Blu-ray from uh, Kino Lorber, and uh, neither of has seen it yet. But it's uh, it certainly seems to be a, it's essentially about a um, uh, a young girl and uh, her you know kind of coming of age experiences in uh, in Quebec after she graduates from high school. So um, if it's as good a director as he is an editor, I'll tell you, Michel uh, Lazard's an yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, any 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 coming of age film in French, even if it's Québécois, which is in an accent that tends to kind of yeah. make my skin crawl, but uh, you know, something about coming of age films in French, they just feel more serious. Yeah, yeah. When little when little, little little kids do something and they say it in French, you know, you just kind of feel. Well, like, now oh. that you know, they, they they just elected Trudeau. That's when right, I, when, that's I was right. a, when I was a kid, his, his dad was the president. Same here. He was, his dad yeah. was president for, for like 20 years yeah. or something. It was a very long... It was almost like he was going to declare himself king of Canada at a yeah, certain Well, point. this guy has better hair. But <laughs> and apparently better abs, too. <laughs> and then the last two uh, quick mentions, two more film movement films. Uh, Marie's Story uh, by Jean-Pierre Ameris. Uh, and uh, Stations of the Cross by uh, Dietrich Brueggemann. Uh, Stations of the Cross is kind of... Uh, Oh, I, not for everyone, but actually quite good. A very interesting German film. German films tend to get philosophically very heavy in recent days, and uh, this kind of goes in the same camp with French-Canadian film uh, Jesus of Montreal, the ah, Denis, yes. Denis Arcand film, yeah. which is finding metaphors for the Christ story in, uh, in modern-day situations. And uh, this film is told in 14 uh, fixed-angle single shots. Um, oh, and the whole idea is, you know, it sort of parallels the Stations of the Cross, Christ's crucifixion, and all of that. Um, and through this, you know, young girl's, uh, you know, experiences, it's um, it's very audacious, not entirely successful, but very, uh, very interesting and bold. And then uh, Marie's story, of course, is uh, is just a wonderful, absolutely beautiful um, period film based on actual events that took place uh, where there was a young girl who was kind of like uh, a Helen Keller kind of very a Helen Keller thing. Story. She was born deaf and blind. And uh, Isabel Carré plays the uh, nun who sort of helps her, you know, Annie... Uh, 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 yeah, like... Uh, 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 Anne Bank, like Anne yeah, Bancroft Anne and Bancroft, the Miracle Worker. Yeah. Uh, sort of connect to the world. So it is... Uh, it's like it, a... But it covers that entire life period. Uh, yes. Their, 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 their entire time together. So we see her when she arrives at the... But it's all nine, it's 19th century. Yeah. It's much more period. You know, yeah. it feels very more... It's more European and uh, it's, it's wonderful. So it is, a, it is a kind of a miracle worker story. Isabel Carré and Ariana Bridoir performing it, and they're, they're very good. And Amir Reese is a very, very good director as well. All right, Tim, thank you. All right, that Thanks was a lot of here. fun. That was, and uh, you'll be here next week as well, and then we'll have Mark back after the... We should uh, do more opera. Well, we'll, we'll get it we'll, in. Absolutely. All right, we'll see you all next week.